0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Deborah. told me not to move this because it crunches, <laughs> but I'm short. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Deborah. I'm a compulsive overeater, vomiter, and drug addict. Hi, and um, uh, first of all, I want to welcome all the newcomers in the room. Uh, I was taught that you're the most important person in this room today, is the newcomer, because if I don't give away, oh, God, I'm start crying already. <laughs> if I don't give away what I've been given, I don't get the privilege of keeping it. And the life I have today is so different than the life that I came in here with that I will do anything to to keep that. And, and that means that I give away to the newcomers the best of my ability a day at a time. First of all, I want to thank Nikki for asking me to come and share tonight. I've shared here a couple times in the past, but it's been a long time. And um, other than the posse that came with me <laughs> this evening, and Ben, I hardly know anyone here, so it's um, really nice to be here tonight. Um, um, I walked into Overeaters Anonymous um, May 15, 1981, which is 30 years ago in May, and um, today is my actual 21st um, 21st birthday of being abstinent from bulimia. And thank you. but if you do the math on that, and that's really interesting because I was listening to you. If you do the math on that, you'll realize that it took me nine years of coming to get abstinent. And that nine years of coming didn't mean that I came and then I like went away for a few months and then I came and I went. No, I was here two, three, six, seven times a week, two trips through eating disorder units um, and uh, a a stay at a long-term extended care treatment facility, um, which they sent me home after a few weeks because they said I didn't need to be there and I was wasting my money which was very nice of them seeing that it was cash. And, um, uh, you know, so it took me nine years of being here to get abstinence, to have the abstinence that I have today. And um, my abstinence is not a perfect abstinence. My bottom line, I I moved to Los Angeles in um, 1990. And when I moved here, I had three years of abstinence. And I, about... A month, actually I moved in March of 1990, and about a month after I was here in April, I realized that I had pushed the edges of my abstinence, the envelope edges, so far that I really was no longer abstinent. I couldn't call myself abstinent. And I took a new abstinence date of April 23rd, which is today, and I've been abstinent ever since. And I've been here in Los Angeles for 21 years. And and my life has changed. It is, it is so profoundly different than when I came in. Um, my my abstinence as a bulimic, I had to find an abstinence that I could live with. And that abstinence for me was, I eat it, I own it. The food that I choose to put in my body, I have to keep it in my body. And that be, had to be my bottom line. And at the beginning of that abstinence, if I was eating three chocolate cakes a day, but keeping them, then I was abstinent. Now, that didn't work real well because I began to gain weight. And when I didn't like the consequence of the food that I was eating, I began to make different food choices. And the, I had I probably gained about 15 pounds at that point. Oh, I have photographs. I gained some weight, and I eventually took it off, and I've been basically this weight for 20 years or so. Um, I had both ends of this disease. Um, I have... Uh, my top weight, I stand about five feet tall. My top weight was almost 180 pounds, and my lowest weight was about 102 pounds. And I qualify as a compulsive overeater, vomiter, and drug addict. And that drug addict part was that somewhere in the 80s, I discovered cocaine. And cocaine was just wonderful because it took my appetite away. And I was always, like, busy, and I could roller skate for, like, ten hours a day and, <laughs> and not eat. Because it was the 80s, and we were all on roller skates in the 80s, okay, you know. My little knee socks and my little high-top roller skates. And, they were, you know, they with eight, eight wheels on them. They weren't like roller blades. They were, so we were all in our little shorts and our high-tall socks and, and, and our roller skates. But um, I have pictures here uh, of both ends of the disease. And the interesting thing is that the pictures show the dates on the back of, like, 1972 and 1973. These pictures are, like, over 30 years old. So the heaviest ones are about 175 pounds, and the lightest ones are really about 102, 104 pounds. And the one with the broken leg, that was the broken leg that I got roller skating on cocaine. Okay? Okay. <laughs> So there you go. Okay, full circle on that one. So you know. So so I qualify as a complete compulsive overeater, and I have. Um, I am sober. I celebrated 28 years of sobriety, also from um, drugs and alcohol, and also in April. And it's kind of like I bunch them all together. I also have an Al-Anon part of that story, and that's 11 years in Al-Anon also in April, and that was just all serendipitous. Um, We'll get to that later on if there's time, because my OA sponsor sent me to Al-Anon. At any rate, um, I completely lost my train of thought, which is okay. Uh, So um, I'm a gutter-bottom food addict, okay? A low, I have a really low bottom with food. Um the part in the OA 12 and 12 in the second step where it lists, you know, eating frozen food, eating spoiled food, eating garbage, eating I qualify for all of them. I qualify for all those things. I did all those things and more. I did not go the shots and pills route, but I self-medicated on cocaine, alcohol, um, and, and anything. I, I was never um, anorexic. I used to sort of... Pray to stop eating. I never knew it had a name back then, but... I, I usually couldn't get past 10 o'clock in the morning, and then I was out there eating again. And, you know, I'd make a resolve. I'd go back and i look at those journals. I, you know, I, I was a person who journaled. Actually, I did more writing before I came in this program than when I'm in this program. I, I used to, like, pour my heart out in, in these journals all the time. And I look back, and, I, and it was always like, I'm going to be good today. I'm going to be good today. I was always going to be good. Or today was a good day. I didn't eat, blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, it was in this program that I learned that my eating was not a moral issue. I'm not a good or a bad person based on the food that I put in my body on a daily basis. And, and I had to learn that here. Because I judged me by the number on the scale and the food that I ate in the day that I was in. And I didn't have any other framework to judge myself. And I was a totally harsh judge whether I was 175 pounds and not being able to get into a cap and gown for my college graduation, or I was 102 pounds and still thought I looked like I was 175 pounds. It, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I hated myself. I um, I can't blame it on my family. Um, I came from... Uh, middle-class Jewish family on the south side of Chicago in in the 60s and a uh, family that had two parents in the house. Um, you know, I uh, was a middle child. You know, I, I can't tell you why. I just never felt like I fit. I never felt like I belonged anywhere that I was. And I can look back and see that I was a compulsive overeater from from the gate, you know, and I see these incidents when I look back, I remember losing a tooth as a child, and I got a dollar, which was a big deal back then, because it was, the 50s, and um, I got a dollar, and I went out, and I bought 100 pieces of penny candy back then, I bought 100 pieces of penny candy, and I didn't share them with anyone, okay, there, you know, so this, that was, that's my story, I can tell you about Halloween's, where I would trade my bu- brothers and sister for the, you know, the little Snickers bars, or the little Butterfingers, you know, you like those candy bars better than those. Wrapped up peppermint things, you know. God, throw those things away, you know. And and it was always a negotiation. And it was always about food for me. It was always about food. Food, I, I, there was this one point when I ran away. And... I remember leaving my house, and I had this red jacket that had these big patch pockets on the side, and I put two pieces of white bread in each pocket. I was like seven years old, okay, and, and, and I ran away. And I was gone the entire day, and kids didn't do that back then. I just walked, and I walked, and I walked. And I came back at the end of the day, and nobody had even noticed I was gone. And it was sort of like, I was just always felt invisible. I didn't feel like I had a voice. I didn't feel like I mattered. And so I ate. You know? I, I guess I was too young for drugs and alcohol, which I found later, so I ate. And, and as a person who has gotten sober and has spent a long time in rooms of AA and um, CA, Cocaine Anonymous, I have... I always share about my eating disorder. Whether it's from the podium or not, I always share. I never leave that part out. And people come up to me afterwards and, and talk to me about it because I, I have this personal belief that behind every alcoholic, if you peel back far enough, the food was underneath. The food was always underneath. You go to AA meetings and they're in the back of the room smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, and Eating donuts, you know, eating donuts. And in fact, there's a number of AA meetings that are known for their famous spreads they put out. Um, You know, which my husband in his early sobriety was really grateful for because he didn't have a job, so he would eat his way at different meetings. But that's a separate story. (laughs) At any rate, um, the food was always there for me. I I just don't know how to to tell you. Each of us has has our own story that that brought us here. And I can match you story for story, you know, about food gutters. One of my my lowest, lowest bottoms was um, I'm from Chicago, and it was New Year's Day, and it was 44 below zero. And my car didn't have heat and um, I was at the, you know how the 24-hour grocery stores used to close on, like, major holidays, and they'd reopen, like, at midnight sometimes, and they'd reopen at 6 a.m.? I was in the Dunkin' Donuts at 5.30 in the morning across from the A&P waiting for it to open up at 6 o'clock, and it was 44 below zero, and that was one of my really, really low bottoms, and, you know, I was sitting there eating a dozen donuts before I could go and get my binge food, and the food has taken me places... Of such painful self-loathing that um, that I really believe it's a miracle that I stand in front of you um, with all my teeth in my mouth, with all my organs operational, with my hair growing from my head, and um, and I'm going to be 60 years old this year. So it's a you know it's a real miracle. It's a real miracle. Um, how I got here. I, this is very odd having such a long share. I'm not quite sure how to, like, balance my time. So one of my favorite pieces of literature, which you don't see at a lot of OA meetings, um, is this 15 quest- questions thing. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's really good. It says here, do you eat when you're not hungry? I do. Do you go on eating binges for no apparent reason? I used to. Do you have feelings of guilt and remorse over after overeating? Yep. Do you give too much time and food to thought? still do, um, but I'm abstinent, okay? Thinking about it, eating it different. Do you look forward with pleasure and anticipation to the time when you can eat alone? Oh, no, yeah, I think so. Um, okay, I would, you know, gather all my little corrective As a bulimic, it's like a chemistry experiment. You'd have to get the soft food and the hard food and the this and the salt and the sweets, and you'd sit there and you'd... You know, shut the doors and pull the shades and turn on the phone machine and 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 have your binge. You know, it's just so. Yes, I did. Is your weight affecting the way you live? Yes, fat and thin, it affected the way I live. Have you tried to diet for a week or longer only to fall short of your goal? Yes. Do you, use, do you resent others telling you to use just a little willpower to stop eating? Yes, Mom. Um, <laughs> Despite evidence to the contrary, she still does. Despite evidence to the contrary, have you continued to assert that you can diet on your own whenever you wish? Yep. Do you crave to eat at a time, a definite time, day or night, other than mealtime? Yes. Not that one, not so much. I just ate all the time. Do you eat to escape? From worries and troubles. Yes, I just wanted to be numb. I wanted it all to go away. Have you ever been treated for obesity or a food-related condition? Ask me about that. Twenty-five thousand um, dollars. Does your eating behavior make you or others unhappy? Yes. So I answered yes to all 15 questions. And you know, they say if you answer yes to like one or more, you probably qualify. And I got them all. So this is one of my favorite pieces of literature. And um, and and I refer to it to sometimes remind myself, why do I get up at 7.30 in the morning on Saturdays to go to Burbank to sit in a room that's freezing cold, you know? Why do I do that? Because I have a life today that's completely beyond my wildest dreams. I don't barf anymore. Um, I don't barf anymore. I mean, that's a, there, there it is, okay? And, you know, yeah, oh, this is the first person I've ever heard who barfed longer than me. I threw up for 18 years. I thought that was kind of like a long time. So... um I got here from a therapist, okay? I got here from a therapist. Um, I had a therapist who was uh, not smart enough to um, not give me her home telephone number. She gave me her home telephone number and told me to call her whenever I needed it. And I would call her, you know, it was 2 in the morning, and I'd been wrapped around the toilet from my guts out. And she finally said, you know, you need to find something else to We need to find, you know, she was not you, but we need to find something else. So she got me to call Overeaters Anonymous, which I did um, one time. It was a uh, Thursday night after a binge. And at 9 o'clock Friday morning, when I was trying to sleep it off, I had a job where I had Friday off and um, hadn't been fired yet. And uh, this very perky woman from Overeaters Anonymous called me back, and um, which I didn't want to hear at 9 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And she told me about a meeting that was that evening at um, 5.45. And I remember this because I went to that 5.45 Friday night meeting at Northwestern Hospital Doctor's Dining Room for 10 or 11 years until I moved here. And it became my home group. And I walked in that meeting, and someone stood up and told my story. Not really, but there was enough there that I knew that I belonged. I knew that I belonged. She talked about food and her feelings about food and her relationship with food, and you know, like I did, she felt like I did, and and I never knew, anyway. I thought I was the only person who felt that way about food, and and as I heard more and more, I didn't know because it was a time you know 30 years ago, not a lot of people talked about throwing up, even in OA meetings, they didn't talk about throwing up a lot, and. Somebody did, and I was like, "Really?" You know, and and I just kept coming back. And as you heard, it took me nine years to get abstinent, and nine years of of going to the meetings and trying to work with the sponsor. Although I was so I was so embarrassed, I was so shamed. There was so much shame around the throwing up. That I had a really hard time talking about it. And so every time that I broke my abstinence, I changed sponsors. So I have like a trail of about, you know, a <laughs> thousand sponsors behind me. I'm also standing here to tell you that I have now had my current sponsor for probably 15 years or so. I'm looking at Holly like she's supposed to know, but she doesn't. But probably about 15 years. And I call my sponsor every Sunday morning at 8.30 in the morning. We've negotiated that over the years as our lives have changed, what time that is. But I call my sponsor every Sunday morning. And we sometimes have to figure out time zones or travel or or wherever we all are. But I call my sponsor at 8.30 8.30 on Sunday mornings. And um, and self-centered compulsive overeater I am, who resented that she gave me this time that I had to call her, I didn't really realize that she was also committing to be there to answer the phone at 8.30 on Sunday mornings. See, I, I didn't get that. It was sort of like, why are you telling me to do that? You know, Whereas, oh, she's saying, I'll be there for you. Nobody had ever been there for me. I ain't get that this person was saying, I'll be there for you. I'm making a safe place for you. And for the last 15 years, I've had a safe place to talk about the things that I used to eat over. I talk about the things that I still want to eat over. You know? I, I am a compulsive overeater who has... um not necessarily been relieved of the compulsive overeating but i have been relieved of the i have been relieved of eating foods that will hurt me i may eat too much lettuce or too much broccoli or too many green beans but it's not the same as eating a pound of cashews and quart of ice cream and barfing my guts out you know I can live with eating too many green beans. It doesn't take me out of my day. Those foods took me to a place where all I was was in the tunnel trying to get the next thing. And you could be talking to me, but I didn't hear it. It was wow 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 It's like, because all I could see was to the next it that I was going to put in me. And now... You know, too many green beans. It might be nice if they did so some of that noise, but they don't. And I live in the world present most of the time. You know, most of the time. Um, I alluded to before that I used to get fired from jobs. And, and I did. And I, I got fired from a, a lot of jobs or not asked back. Wow when my contract came up for renewal. And um, I stand here before you having received a contract for my 18th year in the same job, and that's a miracle. My family even finds that quite astounding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, partly I would do job geographics and I would change, but now it's sort of like I have made a family at, at, at where I, I teach, and I teach... Um, I teach third grade. I teach eight-year-olds. And those children uh, give me the gift of staying humble. You know, if you think you're in charge, try and be a ruin-a-room with 28-year-olds. And um, they've taught me patience. They've taught me tolerance. They've taught me acceptance. And they've given me a great deal of love. And... Um, And I was not a lovable person for a very long time. I was not a lovable person. Um, I heard at an AA meeting once that there's relief in the meetings, but recovery is in the steps. And I've come to really understand that. I'm. We're given... Besides the steps here, we're given tools, and one of the tools is meetings, and another tool is literature. Well, I'm not really good at going home and saying, gee, I think I'm going to go read the big book tonight, or maybe I'll go look at a step, you know? So one of the things that I do that works for me is that I go to literature meetings, and I go to literature meetings to hear how other people work the steps in their lives, to discuss the steps. And, and to find out how my life can get better. And I was sitting here for a long time, um, working basically the first half of the first step and the second half of the twelfth step. And finding out that I was an abstinent bitch telling you how to do it. <laughs> that not, many wa- not a lot of people wanted to be around And one day I went home from a a step study where we had talked about the 10th step. And it was on Saturday, and I talked to my sponsor on Sunday. So there it was, the next Sunday. And I was talking to her about all the great things I heard about the 10th step and making apologies and blah, blah, blah. And then there was this quiet moment, you know, like that pregnant pause, like, uh uh-oh, what's she going to say, that moment? And she... Very quietly said to me, she said, the 10th step is a great thing, and you can, you know, apologize for the rest of your life over things you've done, or you can work six and seven, change who you are, and you'll stop having to apologize. And it was as if I had been hit in the head with a spiritual two-by-four. I had never (laughs) thought about changing myself, that I could be any different hadn't really occurred to me. It was just sort of, well, that's the way I am. That's the way I am. They can take it or leave it. Well, everybody left it because I was alone. You know? I never could back get past, like, the third date with anybody. I, like, for years and years and years and years, okay? I couldn't get past the third date. It was just, you know, I was not... I didn't know how to be in relationships. And and I began to work six and seven. And I began to look at my character defects. And what really motivated me to do that was that I saw people, particularly women, that came in the program after I did who were getting things in their life that I wasn't getting. And I had to look at why are they getting it and I'm not. And it was very obvious that they were doing the work and I wasn't. I was sitting on not eating, not puking, and telling you what to do. And not eating and not puking and telling you what to do wasn't moving my life. It was sort of like I was stuck in this status quo. It wasn't so bad. My life was okay. I'd stopped getting fired from jobs. My family had, not had like, undisowned me. Um, you know, I was welcome back. You know, so I wasn't alienating people, but I wasn't moving forward. I wasn't having relationships with human beings, and part of that was I didn't know how, and at about, um, it was like 11 years ago, okay, my sponsor said to me, you know, you're clean, you're sober, you're abstinent, your relationships with other human beings suck, you need to go to Al-Anon, okay, Al-Anon is about relationships with other human beings. And that's the only thing that you've, you've got you've left. You've taken everything else away. There's no food. There's no drugs. There's just people. And you live on this planet with people, and you don't do that so well. So I began to go. Yeah, I did it. Did, did, did really? You know? I've got a string of old man-boyfriends that will tell you, you know? It's, it's, yeah. So I started going to Al-Anon, and I was a newcomer all over again. I got to be a newcomer all over again. And and it's humbling to be a newcomer all over again and, and, you know, and and I sat in the back of the room with my arms crossed and glared at people and didn't want to be like any of those people, okay? I didn't want to be like any of those people until I began to hear things that maybe I could apply in my life, like, you know, that I could be a team player at work rather than having to know the answers. And so I began to do things that that program taught me to do, and, and the bottom line of that is, with Al Anon's help and the help of all the twelve step programs, I ha- I got married three years ago. You know, it was a miracle at the age of fifty six years old to get married for the first time, and I celebrated three years of marriage, and it is the easiest thing that I've ever done. But it's the easiest thing I've ever done because I have the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, and gratefully so does my husband. And we live the traditions in our house. Our common welfare comes first. You know, it's not about each of our individuals. It is what can we do for the strength of our relationship. And what we do for the strength of our relationship is we work the steps in our home and in our relationship. And when I began to work the steps in all areas of my life, my life began to get better. I, like I said, I'm not a compulsive overeater that's been relieved of the compulsion. You know, I, I said that. I was like, you know, is it time for dinner yet? I'm like, you know, I, I I love my meals. I look forward to eating the food that I eat, and and that's because I'm it's because I'm abstinent. You know, I'm sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to say here. I eat abstinently today because eating, out of, eating abstinently today was a get-out-of-jail card. Okay? I was... The bondage that I thought I was giving myself a treat with, the foods that I always thought was like, it's just a treat, were what was putting me in the prison and locking the jail. And I had no life. I lived in this little box that was basically a framework of fear. And... Um... Because I was in judgment, either judging you, or self-judging, or thinking that you were judging me. Okay? I mean, it was, you know, I'm locked in there. And what I have today, by putting down the food and stepping out in the faith that God hasn't brought me this far to drop me now, gives me the ability to live a life that's beyond my wildest dreams. I have two grandchildren today. Now, mind you, I had nothing to do with that, okay? I came, he came with the three daughters. Um, but I'm not the wicked stepmother. I'm welcomed by my stepdaughters. I'm welcomed in their home. Um, my mother-in-law thinks I'm a divine person. What's that about? It's a good thing she didn't know me 30 years ago. It's a good thing she didn't know either of the people in that, those pictures because she was arrogant, selfish, judgmental, self-righteous, um, and totally fear-based. All those like, amazing things up here, they with a complete low self-esteem. I have a life today... And I keep staring at the back wall, probably everybody up here does because the steps and the traditions are back there, and I just stare at them because they've given me a life that I cannot even share the the privilege with you that i've been been graced with the the love, the acceptance, the people that I sponsor, the friends that I have today, the people that care for me um, I'm honored to be here. And, um, um, you know, that sign back there, life is beautiful. Even with the things that go wrong, which they do, my life is beautiful today and I'm grateful to be here and thank you for letting me share. <laughs> um, okay, okay. So I guess there's a minute or two for questions. If anybody has any? Please, Jay or Justin. Uh, how, do you, how do you work um, spirituality and- um, the third step prayer is my favorite prayer. Um, before I open my eyes in the morning, and, and my short cut, my, you know, shorthand for that is please relieve me of the bondage of self. And, because it's always about, like, my idea of how I think my day is supposed to look. And every day I have to say, you know, please God, show me what you'll have me do today and sometimes the first thing is get up and brush your teeth you know it's like because otherwise i'd stay in bed with a book for the whole day you know and the have a box of bonbons to go with it my bottom line for everything is my faith in god you know i have no ability to not compulsively overeat i have no ability to not put cocaine up my nose Those are the only things that I know how to do. And so every day, the fact that any meal ever ends is a complete testament that God is working for me. What I sort of sometimes imagine is that I have what I call a a second step, like, bag. Like, it's like a little belt. Like, you know, like Robin Hood, they used to wear the things and they put things in their belt. And every time that something happens in my life, like I go to a party and I stay abstinent, well... I binge at every party I've ever been at. And so just the very fact that I'm at a party and I go home and I'm abstinent, that's God working in front of life. So now I have evidence. Because the third step prayer talks about bearing witness to uh, to others, like I see Holly or Edge or somebody stay abstinent, so I'm witnessing their abstinence. Now I get to wit- witness my abstinence. And I witness my abstinence. God did for me what I could not do for myself. So every day in my life I witness how does... God work in my life, and it's like I collect my own evidence of God working in my life. So it's like that scientific mind. I can't disprove it because now I have proof. So I hope that helped. Ready? Is that it? Are we good? We're good. <laughs>